Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello, welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Rich. How's it going? And Lou. Hey, guys. Today we're going to be talking about the subject of workplace safety. This is something that um, I have some personal experience with, having been hurt on the job, not really due to anything my employer did or anything dangerous about my workplace. I just stretched too far, hurt my back, and uh, felt wrong for months. Yeah, I also got hurt at work once. I Something fell on my head and... Uh, split it open, Ooh. so I had to go to the ER. My husband had to pick me up, drive me to the ER, and then I got staples in the head without getting numbed up, which was my choice. But doesn't some, seem like a good choice. It was not a good choice, but you know, sometimes you're dumb when you have a head injury. Have you experienced any injuries in the world of academia, Rich? I I have worked in a real real job. Uh, I will say. <laughs> I've avoided the pitfalls of, uh, of workplace injury when I was a janitor and when I worked at the warehouse, but not for lack of trying. Mm. <laughs> um, we're not going to spend all hour detailing our very limited experience in this department because um, in the news recently, there have been stories that are much worse than our own, though yours is pretty gruesome, Lou. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty I, we, fun. We really should unpack Lou's story. Uh, Oh, right. Let's not. Yeah, it was it was good. I was trying to put something on a shelf and knocked <clears throat> something else off a shelf onto my head. Yikes! And had to get tetanus shot and staples, and it was it was pretty exciting. Had, it had like blood matted in my hair. Like, did you get a workers' comp claim? Was there I, any follow up after did. that? What was the, the I mean, end, I, I wasn't there? out of work or anything because I never lost consciousness or anything. But I did have it paid, and and workers' comp paid the bills. Um, it did take several final notices for them to finally pay it. Um, so that was really cool that I had to keep, keep dealing with insurance in case you were curious why other reasons we need Medicare for all. Um, Got to have that system. Everybody that, loves it. Oh, it's so good. It's such a great system we, uh, we have. Um, but yeah, like this, and this kind of stuff happens. And I was in a retail setting. So a lot of other worker safety things and, and um, OSHA – which is the Oct- Occupational Safety and Health and Administration. Health administration. Well, I was going to say hazards. I didn't know it was health. Uh, sure. <laughs> you might be right. He- health you or hazards. Right. None okay. of us are going to look it up. Yeah. <laughs> Continue. Either one could be correct. The point is it's one of them. Um, like that governs places and, and occupations where people are killed with knots in frequency. It is health. But, <laughs> right. You looked it up. Um. The, the story I referenced earlier, the thing that's been in the news is that Amazon, which we've talked about frequently on Punching Out because it has a famously bad workplace culture, both in its white-collar offices, but especially in its warehouses where you know the manual labor of getting you your Christmas gifts is done. There was a story in The Atlantic back in November called, with the title, Ruthless Quotas at Amazon are Maiming Employees. They author of this piece was Will Evans. It's a very lengthy piece. He starts out by detailing the story of a woman named Candace Dixon who lives in California. Quote, the clock was always ticking on Amazon's promised delivery time. Dixon had to scan a new item every 11 seconds to hit her quota, she said, and Amazon always knew when she didn't. Dixon's scan rate, more than 300 items an hour, thousands of individual products a day, was being tracked constantly, the data flowing to managers in real time, then crunched by a proprietary software called Adapt. She knew, like the thousands of other workers there, that if she didn't hit her target speed, she would be written up, and if she didn't improve, she would eventually be fired. Amazon's cutting-edge technology, unrelenting surveillance, and constant disciplinary write-ups pushed the Eastvale workers so hard that in the last holiday season, they hit a coveted target. They got a million packages out the door in 24 hours. But Dixon, 54, wasn't around for that. She started the job in April 2018, and within two months, or nearly 100,000 items, the lifting had destroyed her back. 
an Amazon-approved doctor said she had bulging discs and diagnosed her with a back sprain, joint inflammation, and chronic pain, determining that her injuries were 100% due to her job. She could no longer work at Amazon. Today, she can barely climb stairs. They got a T-shirt for the million units. You left the most important part out. Yeah. You know, the, 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 they don't get compensated fairly, but they do get uh, swag. Cool. We've, we've talked about the breakneck pace that happens at Amazon and that many workers feel that they can't keep up. But what this article lays out is that this is a dangerous pace. This is a pace that is physically taxing even when you're performing your job safely. It can be outright dangerous when things go wrong. What's interesting about her workplace in particular is that uh, that uh, warehouse, what was the dystopian fulfillment center? Yes. Uh, their warehouse, <laughs> let's call it the real thing it is, uh, has like robot helpers. And so her, her job was to sit there or stand there. And uh, as the robots brought items to her station, I guess, kind of put them away in packages. And so it meant a lot of up, down, up, down, repetitive, and within that 11-second pace to get the package out. So Amazon was saying, well, you know, actually, these robots are good. They're uh, they're going to s- stop our workers from the need to do those miles of pacing up and down the warehouse rows. But what we actually see here is the workers are expected to keep up with the pace of the robot. Yeah. They're expected to be the same as the, the machine, uh, despite being, you know, living flesh. Mm-hmm. And there's all sorts of historical precedent for this. You know, you go back to like the 20s and 30s, you find stories about workers fighting the speed up that industrialization had brought about. Workers trying to slow down the pace of the machines because they could not live up to that pace, even, you know, 100 years ago. And But the threat is always that if you don't keep up, then the, the machines are just going to replace you, and then you have no choice. Mm-hmm. So it's you, you're screwed both ways on this. It's, it's always been the veiled threat of the machine is you keep up or, you know, you're gone. And explicitly that's what happened in uh, this woman's case. Uh, quote, workers spoke with outrage about having been cast aside as damaged goods or sent back to jobs that injured them further. Dixon said she had doctor orders not to pull or lift heavy objects and to alternate between sitting and standing, but she wasn't given a chair and heavy boxes kept coming her way. For Amazon, Dixon said, all they care about is getting the job done and getting it out fast and not realizing how it's affecting us and our bodies. The company does instruct workers on the safe way to move their bodies and handle equipment, but several former workers said they had to break safety rules to keep up. They would jump or stretch to reach a top rack instead of using a stepladder. They would twist and bend over to grab boxes instead of taking the time to squat and lift with their legs. They would hoist extra heavy items alone to avoid wasting time getting help. They had to, they said, or they would lose their jobs. I would also add that it's a false premise on its face. There's no safe way to work that fast. Uh, It's just Mm -hmm. self-evidently impossible to do any kind of, you know, normal body function under those conditions. Even even something that isn't requiring heavy lifting. Like you can sit at a desk all day and the repetitive like clicking will injure you in ways that are very Mm -hmm. real, even if not as severe as what's happened here. Right, yeah, and you you see an intensification of, like, the repetitive stress injuries here just because all you're doing is very, very fast repeat motions. Yeah. Uh, It it feels like workplace safety is in the general public. Its perception is, is like, the child in the factory that just lost its arm because you stuck your arm in a thrasher or something like that. That still happens. It still happens. Stay tuned for our Tesla segment. (laughs) It still happens, and that's kind of – but that's the limit of people's perception of workplace injury. Workplace injury can be as boring as I just stood up too many times, which is so lame. But that's that's the reality Mm -hmm. of workplace safety. And there's no oversight on these companies, or and vanishingly so, um, if there was any to begin with. Um, and it, it's surprising because then all the workers that do end up hurt are just kind of portrayed as whiny. I would ask our listeners to you know think about the aches and pains you have and where they came from. There may be some weekend warriors among our listeners, but I imagine for a lot of you, the most stressful thing you put your body through is the thing you do eight hours a day, five days a week. It's work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my back has been sore for weeks because I just sit a lot this time of year. Sucks. 
you can't sit, you can't stand. Yeah, you can't sit, you can't stand, you can't Bodies click are too stupid. much. They are. This is dumb. Can, can we just be laid at some sort of diagonal angle that <laughs> minimizes, on minimizes the impact of gravity on our, our weak flesh? <laughs> now, we've been saying that you know a lot of these injuries are mundane, but there's also some very extreme instances in the case of Amazon. Uh, there was a gas leak at one of their fulfillment centers that they just didn't address and expected workers to kind of carry on with business during. If they wanted to go home, they had to use a uh, personal time. Uh, quoting from the article, managers wouldn't slow down, several workers said, even though they were dizzy and vomiting. Oh, but Amazon's so nice to give them personal time to begin with. Other people don't get personal time. It, I Just as an aside, I think it's telling that, uh, have you seen some... Like recent television, there have been Amazon ads advertising the place as yes. a place to work and how good they are to their workers. Fantastic. Yeah, I have seen those. It, it makes gross. me wonder if they've drained their uh, their labor pool to the, the brim at this point, just how quickly they go through workers. Yeah, there is some of that. I mean, they have famously quick turnover in these fulfillment centers, but it there's something to be said. It's... I don't want to say it's good that they're look how nice it is to work here, but there's something to be taken away that they feel a need to say it's good to work here, that mm-hmm. they're, they're feeling some sort of pressure about their working conditions that they have to respond in this way. Yeah, I think that's a good point, too. We, we did an episode earlier in the summer about uh, the, the Amazon ambassadors, uh, the, the warehouse employees <laughs> who went on Forgot Twitter and talked about how great. Uh, it was to work on Amazon, that but feels it was like, like ten well, years ago. Yeah, I mean, no, time goes really slow now. Like, did you guys know it's almost twenty twenty because twenty nineteen started thirty years ago? Right. <laughs> it's a fake year too. You're gonna keep quoting from the article. It's a long piece, but there's so much in it that's kind of galling. Um, the company's aggressive production demands have overwhelmed its safety team's efforts to protect workers, according to five former Amazon safety managers who oversaw safety at fulfillment centers around the country. One of them, a former senior safety manager, said it's well-known internally that the injury rates are too high, but there's no way Amazon will slow down. It's not a conversation that can be had, the former manager said. We're never going to fix safety at Amazon because we're never going to fix what the real issue is. Safety manager at Amazon is kind of like how Homer Simpson was the nuclear safety inspector at Springfield. Uh, I just can't imagine this being a real job that competent people get. Um, and to the point about the injury rate, there's uh, some actual numbers in this piece. Uh, Reveal amassed internal injury records from 23 of the company's 110 fulfillment centers nationwide. Taken together, the rate of serious injuries for those facilities was more than double the national average for the warehousing injury, 9.6 serious injuries per 100 full-time workers in 2018, compared with an industry average that year of four. While a handful of centers were at or below the industry average, Reveal found that some centers, such as the Eastville Warehouse, were especially dangerous. Dixon's was one of 422 injuries recorded there last year. So that's a 1 in 10 chance that you're going to be, if you work for an Amazon warehouse, that you're going to get hurt. If you work for the average Amazon. If you work for the average, yeah, that... That's great odds. I love it. And this is counting the injuries that cause people to miss time from work. It's not factoring in every injury because, frankly, how could it? There are yeah. so many small things that build up. That's true. Like, for every, like, time you get uh, a cardboard cut, which those really suck. If you've ever had one of those, they're the worst. Uh, you're not going to miss for that. Or maybe you get sliced <clears throat> with a box cutter at some point. That might not count depending on how bad it is. So that's cool. This is such a cheery episode. I love it. And, you know, as we know, uh, you know, from reading these articles and, you know, reading other uh, material on the subject, you know, most of these injuries, they don't get reported to OSHA. uh, Or if they do get reported to OSHA, uh, this article cites an instance where uh, the state conspires with Amazon to quash the complaint. Yeah. And this is sort of where it goes from just average capitalism, you know, workers getting hurt on the job. That's that happens everywhere to like actively evil in a way, the way that Amazon is able to wield its <coughs> size and power to make these sorts of issues, worker safety, the thing that they claim to care about, but we all know the truth, they can make these issues go away. Um, 
there's an anecdote in this article about Philip Lee Terry, 59, from Indiana. On September 24th, Terry showed up for work and was sent to do maintenance on a forklift. He walked under the machine's forks and metal platform to work on it with a wrench. Suddenly, the 1,200-pound piece of equipment dropped down and crushed him. His body lay there for nearly two hours before a co-worker noticed the pool of blood. A tall pole lying just feet away should have been used to prop up the forklift during maintenance. In a recording he made of his inspection, the OSHA inspector John Stallone asked an Amazon manager whether there was any written documentation of Terry being trained on that. No, sir, the supervisor says on the recording. He told Stallone that Terry had been informally trained by a co-worker. So here we have an instance of a worker not getting the training they need, the proper training they need to use equipment properly, and it resulting in a pretty gruesome injury. Yeah, it's clear they don't really invest a lot of energy in training workers because they frankly don't expect them to be there very long. Yeah. It, for, for one gruesome reason or another. Mm-hmm. That when you have turnover like that, it becomes a very large investment if you're going to train every worker mm-hmm. who comes through the doors. Mm-hmm. And if there's nothing else that has been proven throughout the, especially Trump administration, is that they will do anything possible to get costs for companies. Mm-hmm. Um especially almost when it comes to worker safety. And, and, you know, worker safety depends on workplaces creating a culture of safety, which requires, you know, frankly, extensive training. Mm -hmm. You need to learn how to work your equipment safely. You need to learn uh, how to react when someone does get hurt. And this just isn't happening. Yeah, and it's a requirement even. Like OSHA requires for certain jobs, certain amount or in certain time train training even for my the job. even for my piddly office job, we had to get a training on how to use like a fire extinguisher, you know, it, which is great. I'm glad we did, but it, you know, it, it, that kind of basic stuff isn't happening at, at some of the largest, most wealthy institutions in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stallone interviewed a coworker of Terry's who put the blame on Amazon's safety culture coming in second to production demands. The safety issues I've brought up have been dismissed and not dealt with, the worker said in a signed statement. I want to see the safety culture in Amazon change and ensure the maintenance workers have the appropriate amount of training. There's no training. There's no safety. Indiana OSHA issued four serious safety citations. Boy, that's a tongue twister. For a total fine of $28,000. Stallone sought more, but he was getting pushback. On November 20th, 2017, Stallone joined his boss, Indiana's OSHA director, as she called Amazon officials. He secretly recorded the conversation. During the call, the director told the Amazon officials what she'd need from them in order to shift the blame from the company to employee misconduct, according to the recording. And she walked them through how to negotiate down the fines. We sometimes like to consider grouping citations to lower the penalty amounts, she said. So even when OSHA is requiring things, even when they are noticing that injuries are happening, there is this added layer of you don't know if they're actually going to enforce it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not working with Amazon to improve safety at the facilities. They're working with Amazon to find a way to get, find loopholes in the regulations. And, and the, as the article lays out, the reason why they're doing that is because at the time, Amazon was seeking its second headquarters. And Indiana, Indianapolis specifically, was one of the places that was vying to be the host for that HQ2. And just brief segue, Amazon just recently announced that it would be opening its second headquarters in New York City without any public subsidy. So as we were saying all along, that whole thing was a sham and no one should ever give Amazon money. (laughs) Very good. Stallone was told, I hope you don't take it personally if we have to manipulate your citations. Some days after the conference call with Amazon officials, Stallone said Indiana Labor Commissioner Rick Rubel pulled him into his office. The governor was there too, standing by the commissioner's desk. He recalled that Governor Holcomb told him how much it would mean to Indiana if the state won the Amazon headquarters deal. Then Stallone said the commissioner told him to back off on the Amazon case or resign. So, I mean, it doesn't get much more blatant than Whoopsie. that. Whoopsie. Aw, they did a boo-boo. Um, I don't know what to say about... Speechless. It's, yeah, it's really gross. It's... Because what 
companies and the government have told us time and time again is that regulations are not actually good and that telling people, you know, these are the specific rules that you need in order to be safe, whether it's your oil refinery or your factory or your warehouse, um, that good suggestion of maybe make sure you have guardrails and, and stuff like that, that's too much regulation because they keep trying to put all responsibility for safety on individuals. And they're trying to make sure that that individuals are the ones responsible ultimately, even though individuals are not controlling the pace of, of work. The workers are not controlling um, the the demands put forth by the company. They don't have any control over how many people are hired or the robots that are working with them. But still, it's entirely on individual workers and not company culture and not the company itself and not regulations. Mm -hmm. and, and that's been the case for the past three years, at least. I mean, honestly, it's been farther, but at least during Obama, all of his faults aside, there were some protections for worker safety. There were efforts to expand what OSHA was doing yeah. under the Obama administration. They were. And then Trump comes in office and all of that stuff is rolled back immediately. It's infuriating. And it's it's no wonder that they keep trying to hide it because honestly, I think if enough people saw what was going on, we would flip and revolt. It's getting it's getting absurd. And and let's not forget other Supreme Court uh, hero Neil Gorsuch's uh, famous frozen trucker case. Another another punching out uh, staple. I don't even remember when we did that. Thirty years ago, forty. <laughs> uh, before he was on the Supreme Court, just like a brief run over, he, there was a trucker who had basically given the choice of freeze to death or leave his truck, and he left his truck and got fired. And this is all good stuff. And Gorsuch said he shouldn't have done that. That's right. It was gorgeous. Your your point about how all these safety things are offloaded to the individual workers mm -hmm. uh, reminds me. Are are either of you familiar with Mike Rowe? The uh, dirty, jobs. dirty Jobs guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, uh, for listeners who aren't aware, he had this show on the Discovery Channel for years where he would do um, jobs that most of us would find a little off-putting. You know, he would go into sewers or... My favorite episode was one where he was a gooey duck farmer, which if you've ever seen one of those, they're... Real uh, nasty creatures. <laughs> yeah, they're... There's something. I remember him narrating the deadliest catch. I don't think I ever saw Dirty Jobs, but it was the same idea. Like here was a dangerous job, and like the right. the men the men who did it were, That's were man, manly and good. That's another industry that is completely unregulated. Is right. the fishing industry, and I believe it has the highest uh, casualty rate of any. It does. Um, he's kind of leveraged the image that he made working on Dirty Jobs to be sort of a a blue collar face for uh, some really noxious people and companies. Uh, he's been a spokesman for Walmart and talking up how great they are for their workers, which um, he's been involved with like the Koch brothers on various initiatives. He, he has <laughs> common working class people like the Koch brothers. He, he yes. has this shtick, which he's taken on to Fox News, I believe, uh, called Safety Third, which in which he says that, you know, nobody really thinks safety should be first. That's Ludicrous, and he leverages the uh, very true idea that bosses don't have your safety, you know, priorities in mind to kind of downplay the need for actual laws and regulation that require bosses to have your safety needs in mind. It's it's sort of cynical and ugly, and but it's all that putting the onus on the individual yeah. is very much. And, and something I did notice when, I, particularly when I worked in a warehouse, is like there's this kind of like machismo culture too. Definitely. Where you know you don't you don't want to be seen asking for help you don't want to be seen mm -hmm. uh, turning down work because you don't you don't want to look scared and so you see like you know to be clear I didn't work in like a steel mill or anything it was a warehouse with DVDs on the shelves but you know there's still <laughs> there's still tall shelves there's still like stuff kind of stacked precariously and so every so often you'd see guys like balancing on chairs to grab boxes and you know uh, doing things they really shouldn't have been you know without assistance to. Uh, just get the work done without being hassled. And I think that's what that micro thing taps into is like to be a man in a worker is to uh, go to job and uh, not complain and, you know, go home and be a provider. Give it, give it a hundred percent. He's very effort. much against complaining. Yeah. I once saw a guy use a Kubota forklift as a ladder. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to say where that was, but I did. Um, after this break, we'll come back and we'll talk about, more examples of all this fun stuff we've already been discussing.
You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Lou. Hey, guys. And Rich. Still here. We've been talking in our first segment about the lack of safety culture at Amazon and specifically in their warehouses. Um, And we're going to shift now to another company that is frequently in the news, and that is Tesla. We... I don't think we've actually talked about Tesla much on the show. We've probably mentioned Elon Musk as the archetype for a certain sort of CEO. Supervillain? Yeah. But I don't know if we've actually discussed the company, which we really should have, because there are a lot of Amazon-esque problems with Tesla. Mm. They brought, like, startup culture with all its uh, emphasis on overwork and – uh, underpay to and not having a union and not having two manufacturing dumb ideas. Oh, he, his ideas are so bad. Like that's that is the epitome of Tesla. The the company is I'm going to take this really stupid idea or reinvent a bus once you again. Want to hear a really stupid idea? Yes, please. Um, inside Tesla's warehouses, they don't have yellow safety paint <laughs> um, because. Well, I'll quote from this piece in Reveal News. Quote, concerned about bone-crunching collisions and the lack of clearly marked pedestrian lanes at the Fremont, California plant, the General Assembly Line's then-lead safety professional went to her boss, who she said told her, Elon does not like the color yellow. Oh, oh, is that, that's a thing that you can do? Is you can just say, when I'm you're not... Elon Musk, when yes. you're Elon Musk. That's cool. I think, yeah, I think the article said that the pedestrian lanes and the everything else lanes, there were like a gray and then a different gray, <laughs> which is so helpful. Bleak. <laughs> oh, boy. In addition to yellow, Musk was said to dislike too many signs in the factory and the warning beeps forklifts make when backing up, former team members said. His preferences, they said, were well-known and led to cutting back on those standard safety signals. Isn't it wild how this libertarian goofus just doesn't personally like basic safety things like yellow paint and signs? Weird how the CEO doesn't like that especially. Right. And frankly, if the workers don't uh, agree with it, well, then they can start their own factory with their daddy's uh, emerald mine money, frankly. Why didn't you discover uh, gold under your your property, (laughs) worker? Uh, Quote, if someone said Elon doesn't like something, you were concerned because you could lose your job, said Susan Rigmaiden, former environmental compliance manager. The story lays out that there was this culture of fear almost of – you know, bringing something like this up to Elon Musk, who it absolutely should have been brought up to, because, you know, if he shot something down, if he didn't like your idea, you could be on the chopping block. You could be fired. Well, the article also says later that several people resigned because of the safety issues, Mm -hmm. sent letters personally to Elon Musk, and they were never responded to whatsoever Mm -hmm. in, in either addressing the safety concerns or just saying, dude, my bad. Or however Elon sounds. I really don't know. I don't care to know how he sounds. (laughs) Super villain-esque, I'm guessing. But the article lays out that beyond just this weird quirks of Elon, which, haha, isn't he eccentric? There's also just very basic. He sold fire flamethrowers once. Yeah. Yeah. There's just very basic, here's capitalism again, going on in his factories. Quote, an investigation by Reveal found that Tesla has failed to report some of its serious injuries on legally mandated reports, making the company's injury numbers look better than they actually are. We kind of foreshadowed this in the first segment when talking about Amazon, which we, I mean, it's probably happening there too, but here we have concrete reporting showing that Tesla's not reporting. And even with their fake numbers, they still have two injuries documented a day in their factory. Yeah, which is insane. Like, how do you have an injury? Because, again, it's injuries that either require you to miss work or have something beyond first aid. So that's a serious injury of some kind. If it only goes to first aid, it's not required to be reported. Right, right. So something beyond first aid. That that means somebody is uh, missing work or in the hospital twice a day. That's 
that's bananas, right? And, and just like with Amazon, you see in Tesla the same lack of concern for safety culture, not just in the the stuff we, we've been talking about, which is mm-hmm. bad enough, but also uh, in undertraining employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a degrees magnitude more scary because they're working with heavy machinery and you know molten metals yeah, to molten make metals. these cars. Um, and you know, the, the, toxic, the chemicals. toxic chemicals on top of that too. <laughs> so the chances of injury are, if not ha- like, even if you handle this stuff safely, you could still get hurt mm-hmm. and they're not even like adding this extra level of protection there. All right. Uh, to give one concrete example, last April, Tariq Logan suffered debilitating headaches from the fumes of a toxic glue he had to use at the plant. The searing pain became so unbearable that he couldn't work and it plagued him for weeks. But Logan's inhalation injury, as it was diagnosed, never made it onto the official injury log that state and federal law requires companies to keep. Neither did reports from other factory workers of sprains, strains, and repetitive stress injuries from piecing together Tesla's sleek cars. Instead, company officials labeled the injuries personal medical issues or minor incidents requiring only first aid, according to internal company records obtained by Reveal. Yeah. It's his debilitating headaches have nothing to do with his job, um, even though he went to a doctor and the doctors prescribed him serious painkillers and said, this is because of your job. And they're like, well, actually, he went uh, to the doctor a month after it happened. And then the reveal went back and said, no, it was like the same week, dude. <laughs> like, it's it's insane the levels to which they're they're playing. I, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, they're just lying they're lying about what's happening in their factories and then blaming reveal and saying, well, you're just pro union and that's the only people. Yes. Their their response to these reports by reveal, which has done great work in like finding this stuff out has been to label review a project by union activists who wish to unionize Tesla's famously non-union plants. Right. Yeah. You see, you see the consequences of not having a union workplace here. Like, I, I don't want to pay, like, UAW shops as, you know, utopias of worker safety by any means. But, you know, the basic protections of just having, like, yellow floors and steel toe shoes mandated and paid for by the company are there. And at Tesla, you have nothing. And, and you also see, like, the effects of having just a real weird guy as the head of things, like, determining everything. Oh, he's so weird. He's v- very much vindictive towards those he feels have slighted him, as we saw when he insulted that diver. Called him a pedo guy, which it's now legal to call those people that this, or just just do it on the radio. He won the uh, case, so call, call the I, FCC. I guess you can do call it. them their pedo guys. It's fine. That's cool. Yeah, it's been it's weird that somebody's aesthetic choices can go so far into uh, laying out the safety requirements of your factory. Like I personally really like sparkles all over everything and. Uh, fluffy stuff so I'm gonna do a factory and that's what we're gonna do that might actually not be a bad idea like sparkling safety lines <laughs> maybe that's more visible than yellow we don't know it's very possible M- maybe if it's a pillow factory it'll be safer <laughs> just just have cushioned ground everywhere oh uh, yes that's what that's what punching out snacks let's, let's replace is. stress mats in all workplaces with pillows <laughs> yeah that's that's definitely punching's out out's next project is we're going to set up a factory that's cool no mm-hmm. it's not gonna happen what what the article lays out is that even if you have like the proper enforcement, the like OSHA mechanisms in place to report these things, companies sometimes are just gonna avoid that and you know pretend it's okay. It's there's only so much the law can do in cases like Tesla because you have a company that is flouting the law. And OSHA, I think we'll, we'll talk more about OSHA a little later, but it's mm-hmm. worth pointing out that. If every ocean, like I forget how it was phrased, uh, a workplace would be inspected once every like 142 years of every ocean inspector. Like if they lined them up. If they lined them up into place, yeah. So there's that. Quoting from the article, in Tesla's internal injury tracking system, a supervisor wrote that a worker couldn't come to work one day in February 2017 because his left arm was in pain from installing wiper motors during his shift. One more worker fainted and hit head on floor because team member was working in a group setting and became uncomfortably hot. Another employee, a supervisor noted, was highly relied upon at this workstation but injured her shoulder from repetitive motion due to an unfriendly ergonomic process. 
Tesla is required by law to report every work-related injury that results in days away from work, job restrictions, or medical treatment beyond first aid, like we said earlier. But those injuries were labeled personal medical cases, meaning work had nothing to do with them. Funny how that works. Yeah, it was uh, aliens outside the factory that uh, made the conditions inside too hot in that one case. That, that's obviously what happened there. There's probably a solid argument to be made that any injury you suffered is in some place work injury. You spend a 30-year life there. Mm. Mm-hmm. You're not wrong. I, there was also another article done by Reveal which laid out how even in the cases where you know an injury happened, Tesla had set up the uh, workers' compensation system at their plant in ways that would effectively screw the worker for trying to report that such things happened. Uh, To give an example, in December 2017, Tesla sent a patient, Bill Casillas, to Dr. Basil Besh as part of a trial run of sorts. Fake name. Casillas, a worker at Tesla's seat factory, had felt a strong shock when he touched a forklift there. Disoriented, he realized he had urinated on himself. A co-worker in the forklift saw it jolt Casillas back and told Reveal that it seemed like it was affecting him greatly. Casillas' partner said he came home shaken, unlike he had ever seen him before. He was left with relentless pain, numbness, and balance problems, he said. An internal Tesla incident report documented a work injury due to shock from an electrical forklift that was then put out of service. Kaiser Permanente doctors who examined him the day after the incident diagnosed him with an industrial electrocution. A doctor at Besh's clinic agreed that it was a work-related electrical injury, prescribing him limited job duties, physical therapy, and additional tests, medical records show. But Tesla didn't like the diagnosis, Bonnet said. She got an email from Tesla's workers' compensations manager. He argued that there, was a, that there wasn't a work injury at all, just a case of minor static electricity. Man, is that is that what industrial electric electrocution is? Just a minor static, uh... <laughs> minor static injury. But what we have here is a case where Tesla is leaning on the doctors, who are mm-hmm. in theory supposed to be impartial, but are often paid by the companies themselves to handle these workers' compensation cases to determine like who's at fault, who owes who money. Oh yeah, I've seen those daytime lawyer commercials. You've been through the workers' comp system yourself. <laughs> yeah. Is your injury claim also a workers' comp claim? And I think there's a case to be made that a lot of that could be simplified if we just had a healthcare system that was paid for by, you know, say a single payer. But it wouldn't hurt. It definitely there's there's nothing bad as far as I can see coming from a single payer health system. In the case of these workplace injuries, though, there's also incentive from the company to deny them and say they're faking because one, if the injury is bad enough, you could go on disability or Mm -hmm. you could miss work and require disability payments, even Mm short-term disability, um, which is something that companies have to pay insurance on. Right. And furthermore, they could get sued down the line for having an unsafe thing. Mm -hmm. And then also they're just, they don't have a worker and they have to find a replacement. Mm -hmm. And, and just like with Amazon, you see here, there's like an expectation from the company that they can negotiate with the regulatory agencies. Like they're supposed to like work mm-hmm. together to resolve this issue rather than, you know, be monitored by them. There's a sense of entitlement right. almost, you know. They they feel like, okay, these are the rules, but really, how's this game really? <laughs> we, 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 know, we know what the real rules are. Yeah, you know, here's some on. cash. But yeah. the article lays out how a company like Tesla has a lot on the line in cases like these because um, it has a form of self-insurance, the article says. Uh, the company is directly on the hook for paying up to $750,000 of each worker's claim, records show. So they have a direct financial incentive in downplaying workers' injuries on the job. And yeah. that creates all sorts of conflicts of interest, which mm-hmm. are not good. Right. Um, yeah. It, it really – it's the only people who ever argue that companies and industry can regulate themselves clearly have some kind of perverse incentive to do so because they figure out, oh, yeah, I'm just going to hide things or I'm going to do that. Like anybody who says that that's a good idea and that's a good system is lying to you. Mm-hmm. Like nobody truly believes that. So going back to our discussion in the first segment about, you know, the numbers of injuries at Amazon's factories, Tesla's numbers were systematically lowered because of cases like this where 
workplace injuries were changed into minor static electrocution or, you know, where first aid was delivered, but not anything that would require them to stay out of work because <laughs> CPR is just minor first aid now, guys. They didn't have to open the, the first aid kit for the CPR. So yeah, they just pull out the AED it was just lying there anyways from the last guy. <laughs> so what we're saying in this segment, especially is don't rely on your employer to have your best interests in mind. I know, I know I just said that was sort of cynical when Mike Rowe says it, but it's, Right. It's, there is a point. There. It's disappointing because there are so many factors in worker safety that is not in control or the worker does not have any control over whatsoever. Mm -hmm. If you're in a factory setting, you do not have any control over the pace of, of play. Or the color of the lines. Or the color of the lines. Um, and this is, this is stuff that has an impact mm -hmm. on how people can function. Um, Repetitive strain injury comes from just doing the same thing over and over and over again and often too fast. Um, and this is a concern across several industries, like in the, the poultry industry, in the, the meat processing industry. There's been pushes in the past year or so to increase the speed of production on that. And that, that involves like knives and blood and bacteria. Food. Yeah, food, things that you eat. Um, so these are, these are huge things that that workers don't have any control over and they can't trust their bosses they can't trust the government mm -hmm. um to to do anything about it yeah it's really bleak and what we say i'm punching out is that you should be able to trust the government or at least somebody to handle issues like this in a way that isn't skewed against you you as the worker you're listening to Punching Out on Wayo 104.3. You can subscribe to the show or listen to past episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and other podcast apps. We are also on Facebook and Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Rich hey. and Lou. Hey, guys. We've been talking for the first 40 minutes about workplace safety and two companies in uh, Amazon and Tesla that very much don't care about it and very much are all too happy to disregard the health and well-being of their workers if it will make them a penny's profit. We're going to talk now in the last segment about the ways in which the Trump administration is enabling employers like these to exploit their workers for further, to endanger their workers further, and just in general to make everything less safe in the name of profit. First, I want to lay out some statistics beyond just what goes on in Amazon and Tesla's plants. There's um, more than 5,000 workers were killed on the job in 2017, and almost 3 million workers suffered an injury or illness serious enough to warrant medical attention or time away from their job that year. That's according to the National Employment Law Project. So that's, a, that's an epidemic level of just, we, we might call it class warfare, in, in that mm -hmm. the brunt is being felt by the working class. Um, it's very physical class warfare. It's not just metaphorical. And under the Trump administration, the agency that is responsible for overseeing this and ostensibly for putting a stop to this is being gutted, basically. Uh, that's the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA. Is, um, their enforcement is declining over these past few years because the Trump administration wants their enforcement to decline. Uh, OSHA's inspection resources are already so limited that it would take the agency more than 150 years to visit every workplace under its jurisdiction. There's that stat. Yeah. The number of OSHA investigations following a work-related fatality or catastrophe reached a 10-year high, climbing to 929 investigations in 2018, up, from, up almost 100 from the previous year. This is the largest single-year increase in such investigations in a decade. In, according to OSHA's own data, the agency has conducted one-third the number of inspections involving hazards causing musculoskeletal disorders, even though these painful and often crippling conditions are the number one work-related illness in the country. Reduced by half the number of inspections regarding heat stress, even though last year was one of the hottest years on record. Reduced by one-third the number 
of inspections where investigators measured individual workers' levels of chemicals and other toxic agents and cut by half the number of high penalty cases. So that's a pretty thorough gutting of what the agency actually does to enforce the laws that are on the books. Even without changing the laws themselves, enforcement is a really key part of it. Mm-hmm. Yep. That, that sums it up. I mean, even, even before Trump, to be clear, mm-hmm. you know, the OSHA was always understaffed, uh, understaffed and uh, unions complained frequently that uh, they were always very, very cozy with uh, with the, the companies they were tasked with regulating. As we saw in as, Indiana. As we saw in Indiana. They, you know, that's not just a Trump era thing. That's something that uh, has been true for as long as, as OSHA has existed. Uh, so I was, I was curious, actually, to learn that OSHA was a Nixon era uh, a program, the kind of last gasp of the the Great Society. Um, so it, it does kind of tell you, you know, even though it, it's tasked with regulating workplace safety, uh, providing whistleblower protections to workers who you know look out for safety in the workplace, um, it, it's always been fairly toothless. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, uh, Trump is like pitching his reelection campaign on the idea that look at all these jobs that are around now and. Some people will try to get in the weeds of whether those numbers are actually real and how meaningful they are. But I think we can say without a doubt is that a lot of those job increases are premised on cuts to worker safety, to environmental safety, to the safety of people who have to use these products. Uh, You mentioned earlier the changes to rules regarding uh, meat packing. Mm -hmm. You know, they're trying to speed up that process because – you know, Upton Sinclair never wrote the jungle or anything. <laughs> yeah, the, the the pork industry, as I recall, is now completely self-regulated under under Trump. Which great. If you can't trust the pork industry, <laughs> I mean, who can you? Who, if anybody's going to cut the fat, the it indus- will be the, the pork industry, industry that brought you the hot dog is beyond reproach, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, I'm going to quote from a piece in Politico at the. At OSHA, Trump officials are seeking to loosen reporting requirements for injury and illness data from large companies. A rule proposed in July would relieve companies with 250 workers or more from a previous obligation to submit detailed injury and illness data, which OSHA had intended to publish online. So the fact that we even have these numbers at all f- from Amazon, from uh, Tesla, that might not be true for much longer if the Republican Party has its way. They want companies to be able to do this stuff with impunity. They they want Amazon to not have to run those ads about how nice the <laughs> warehouses are anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and another thing we're seeing under Trump is uh, the kind of – something we've seen a lot with, with his administration is this kind of intentional incompetence. Uh, they don't staff – open positions so like mm-hmm. there are these OSHA councils that are supposed to consult on workplace safety in different right. sectors of the industry that have been disbanded um, positions within OSHA haven't been filled or they're filled right. with you know like people leave corporate yeah. corporate insiders that you know yeah Trump favors it's it's not just OSHA like there's so many organizations that, that's a common theme of yeah. the right, administration yeah. like what is the FEC doesn't exist anymore because they don't have now. a quorum is a pretty uh, effective tactic tactic i have to say because Uh, if you just leave it and completely ignore it who's gonna do anything about it i I think you had made a good point during the break about how the lack of environmental protections Mm -hmm. and lack of like workplace safety are two sides of the same coin they're all you know pitched as deregulation and at the end of the day the impacts of that are all felt hardest by the working class the people who trump claims to speak for when he you know campaigns for office Mm -hmm. yeah industries that are impacted by by a lot of epa decisions that have been made recently like the oil industry the coal industry um uh, refineries up and down the gulf coast they all also have terrible worker safety records. Um, so as OSHA declines, as the APA uh, fails to enforce or just reverses decisions it's made, um, workers are, because they have the go-ahead to do more damage to the environment, mm-hmm. workers are put at risk a lot more. Our, our lords and masters don't work hazardous jobs, and they certainly do not live in hazardous neighborhoods. Right. The externalities of their wealth are poured onto us. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I, I think you want to talk about there was a refinery fire. Yeah. Or ex- yes. Explosion was it? Yeah, it was a huge explosion. So in Port Neches, which is on the Gulf Coast, um, some maybe ninety miles outside of Houston, which doesn't mean a lot because Houston is huge. Um, there's refinery towns up and down the Gulf Coast, and it seems like every few months there's a huge explosion. Um, Port Neches explosion. Surprisingly, nobody died. Only three people were sent to the hospital. Three workers were sent to the hospital. But there's been evacuation orders on and off for the past week um, because that was the day before Thanksgiving that that explosion happened. Um, So it was a a refinery that um, specializes in making rubbers and other synthetics, which are oil uh, Mm -hmm. byproducts. And the there was an explosion, and just these great clouds of cancerous gases were released into the neighborhood, on top of people, you know, getting seriously injured in explosions. I wonder if the workers had to take personal time. <laughs> it really, uh, I don't honestly think that there's any requirement that you give personal time in Texas. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. So they probably just got unpaid days yeah. off. So, um, Honestly, my my dark joke just turns out to be true, <laughs> or even worse even than you worse, yeah. intended. <laughs> Something that sticks out in my memory is uh, I was living in Boston at the time of the uh, Marathon bombing in 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, three three people died. I think there were like 120 or so injuries in that incident. You know, it's a terrible tragedy, it, and it made it was national news for the whole week because there was also the manhunt that followed. But something that stuck with me is that like. About a week after that, in a, a small town in Texas, I think called West Texas, yes. um, there was a, a a fertilizer plant blew up, yep. and something like 11 people, 11 died. people died, and mm-hmm. there were 150 injuries. And the aftermath of that received comparatively little coverage in comparison to you know an act of terrorism, even though this incident cost more lives and can also be blamed on human actors. You know, it mm-hmm. wasn't just an accident. There were findings that they were storing things in ways that should not have been the case. Right. Just like with the, the West Virginia coal mine that Massey blew up intentionally by not maintaining any safety precautions. It's terrorism of the capitalist class against the working class. But it's shocking how little this gets heard about, I think. it. This stuff doesn't get covered in the way that if somebody brings a box cutter to an airport does. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it maybe sure. makes the national news for a day and then fades out of public memory. Uh, you mentioned the Massey uh, mine incident where like 29 people died. Yeah. And the owner of that mine saw fit to, after his one-year prison sentence was up, saw fit to run for Senate in West Virginia and received some votes. Uh, he did not win the Republican primary, which is... Honestly, a little surprising to me, but I mean, he, he was running as like a Trump Republican too. Before Trump, it was like, yeah, the, we'll bring the jobs back to West Virginia by slashing regulations. After his ignoring regulations cost the lives of his workers. He, he, very much one of the guys who viewed his sentence for the crime he had committed, which was a paltry sentence, as some sort of political hit job. Like I, I think he was blaming like Obama and the deep state for the fact that he was convicted in. This accident that killed 29, 29 people. people. Yeah. yeah, it's it's you have to be honestly just some kind of psychopath to have a, a factory where people die and you think, man, it wasn't my problem. I had nothing to do with that. I mean, I think you need to be a psychopath on a factory. They're already primed to be indifferent to the, the inputs they employ. Yes, I was being a little repetitive there. I apologize to the listeners. So uh, yeah. An- another thing that, that struck me uh, while kind of preparing for this episode is the way that worker safety is getting tied into immigration issues. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so back in October, the Hard Rock Hotel under construction in New Orleans collapsed. And in the aftermath, one of the workers who was injured, three people died, dozens were injured. Mm-hmm. One of the workers who was injured was actually an OSHA whistleblower. He had reported to OSHA three times that it was an unsafe construction site. And also he was an undocumented immigrant from Honduras. So while he was recovering from his injuries, ICE just happened to show up. And, uh, and specifically it was after he had spoken to a Spanish yes. language news outlet about uh, the accident. Yeah, he was, he was just con- publicly announcing that he had been blowing the whistle and then ICE shows up and puts him into deportation proceedings. Um, there was another example in Florida, for instance, where uh, somebody got injured on the job, again, another undocumented person. And... 
was at a, their workers' compensation hearing when ICE showed up and arrested them. And specifically yeah. in Florida, there's a law on the book where undocumented immigrants are entitled to workers' compensation payments. This is something that most states have. You know, that's the case in most states. But in Florida, there, it is a felony to file a workers' comp claim using false identification. Since then, insurers have avoided paying for injured immigrant workers' lost wages and medical care by repeatedly turning them into the state. That's from a ProPublica article in 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the immigration regime, you know, as we talked about in the show multiple times, is a, a labor control regime. Um, and here you see it under the Trump administration, very, very cynically using workers' safety itself as a, a cudgel to yeah. – maybe maybe that is the best way to find workers under the Trump administration, find the people who get hurt, yeah. as we all are. It honestly – I think we're we're maybe like two months away. We're, we're not far away from having the narrative become, well, honestly, since all worker safety is – is completely in control of individual workers, then undocumented workers are themselves decreasing the the safety of the workplace and we need to just get rid of them wholesale. Like I feel like we're that close to getting that kind of narrative. Right. When the reality is the opposite. The right. undocumented immigrants in this case are, you know, like trying to make their workplace safer. It's mm-hmm. a workplace that they share with, you know, citizens and documented immigrants, surely. But, but because of their status, they are able to be silenced in a way that endangers all workers. You do not necessarily have to be undocumented to feel the effects and, you know, the chilling effect of such a policy like this. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, policies like that, as with everything the Trump administration has done along these lines, serve the purposes of the bosses. They are not for, you know, workers, no matter how many tr- times they try to tell you that it yeah. is. Yeah, we, we see labor law kind of falling back into the 19th century in a lot of ways. So that there's a famous case in 1842 called Farwell v. Uh, Worcester and Boston Railroad. Uh, a worker got maimed on the railroad and sued the company for damages. And the Massachusetts court held that actually his wage was his contract that uh, covered him for any safety or damage he took on the job. Um, oh, wow. And so you, you see that coming back into play again as like a core assumption of of the workplace. Like Lou has been saying, you know, all risk is put on the worker in the workplace now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's considered like the conditions of work. That's just how things are. And no, that's not how they should be. That's wrong. Right. Uh, we here on Punching Out want to say that the government can be more than just an enabler of the richest people in society. It can be somebody who puts a check on the powerful and the wealthy when they try to screw over the powerless and the poor. It is not under the Trump administration, and it probably wouldn't be under you know, a lot of other administrations. But we have to be able to hope for better because this idea that you know, every worker is on their own is not going to cut it. It's not going to result in any fewer workers dying. And we, I, I would also add that, you know, in addition to a strong government, you know, a strong democratic government, small d democratic, uh, strong union presence in workplace would also make a big difference. In Sweden, for instance, uh, union work sites, uh, on union work sites, workers have an absolute right to stop any process if they see something unsafe and they're protected 100% by law. It's the one good if you see something, say something. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. But you're absolutely right. You know, when you have some sort of worker control over the workplace, you can, you know, set conditions that the bosses themselves are unwilling to set. Elon Musk is never going to allow that to happen unless he is made to under some sort of collective bargaining process. And and no, a union Amazon warehouse would never allow 11 seconds Mm -hmm. an order work rule. That's just unsustainable. Yeah. Right, and Amazon would have to run more commercials because they would need more workers yeah. at that point. It's, it, the national economy is at 3.6% unemployment. Like, there are not many workers left. Right, ostensibly, you know, this is as good as it gets. Yeah, like, they're going to run out of bodies very quickly if things don't change, frankly. And then student debtors will be uh, hauled before the courts and sent to the Amazon mines. Oh, goodness. Th- this is so happy. Yeah, I... I 
was considering making the episode bleaker by talking about how all these workplace injuries contribute to the opioid crisis, but oh I, don't know, I don't think we have the time to that might, really that might be its own episode. Have we done an oh, opioid gosh. episode? No. And T- talk about your working class can epidemic. Please do that past the holidays. This is getting bleak. Any closing thughts on this topic or others? Join a union. Um, join, I think we should all find Elon's house and bring some yellow paint. Okay, that that's much better place than I thought. You were <laughs> I know I have a bad. She, she didn't say what she wants to do with the yellow paint, so we'll just that's true. Let, use your imagination. Exactly. Um, I just think paint the whole town yellow. Let's do it. All right. For this week, I'm Ryan. I'm Lou. I'm Rich. This was punching out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.